0: Mira C. I actually hear lies better than I see them because there is often two things that happen when someone's about to tell a lie. There is a longer than expected pause while they think of the lie and there will be a pitch change. Sometimes some people get squeaky. Um, we, you know, We've all seen that as a kid. No, I didn't eat the sweets. And you're like, yeah, yes, you did.
1: Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. My name is Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console. The Coaches Console has supported more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching business. I've invited Liz Scully onto Just Between Coaches to discuss a topic that can be challenging to talk about, lying. We'll look into different types of lies, how to detect them, and what you as a coach can do about it. Liz is the founder of Rethink Central that provides business strategies for entrepreneurs. She's also a mastermind coach for influential coaches. Before I bring Liz on, I'll start with reading an email from a listener that addresses the topic. Again, any email that you send me that I read on the air will be anonymous unless you tell me otherwise. So don't hesitate to be open about what's on your mind. Here's what Anonymous had to say. Dear Melinda, there's something that I can't shake and I need your help and input. Maybe it's nothing, maybe there's something to it. I'm new at coaching and recently started to work as a business coach. What do I do if I believe a client is lying to me? I take pride in trusting my gut even when it doesn't make sense. My client shared with me from the beginning that she inherited some money and so paying for my packages was not a problem. I'm so grateful for that and all the ways I've been able to support her and all the things she's been able to accomplish. However, in our last coaching session, I heard her mention that she had to borrow money to be able to pay for my services and that it's weighing on her budget. Should I challenge her on this or let it go? I can't help but wonder, has she lied about other things? Dear Anonymous, thank you for your mail and this question. We're gonna talk about lies today, but we're also gonna talk about the difference between the masks that we wear to protect ourselves and the so-called white lie. Today, I invited Liz Scully onto Just Between Coaches. Liz is a business strategist and a mastermind coach and knows business can be ridiculously fun as well as highly effective. She's Irish, nomadic, and is as confused as everyone else why she has an English accent. Welcome, Liz. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Liz, you have a fascinating background. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your path to what you do today so the listeners, they can just get a feeling for who you are? Absolutely. So I'm a business strategist now, but my
0: background is in film. I worked in animation for visual effects for 20 years, producing big Hollywood, things getting blown up stuff, which means that I'm aware of horrendous deadlines, lots of stress, how to manage big groups of people. And crucially for today's conversation, the subtle nuances of the way Our body maybe
1: tells us the truth when what's coming out of our mouth isn't actually true. Ooh, I love that. Now, I am excited to dig into this subject of lying. But first, I know that you've been trained in lie detection. Tell us about that and how that came about. Absolutely. It's something I've always been interested in.
0: Um, It's the work of Paul Erickson. It is the work that is used as work for the security forces, the security teams, but crucially, it is also used by animators. There are seven fundamental expressions that all humans, well, certainly all humans that have grown up in the West, have that all of us really can't hide. They're called micro-expressions, and we have no ability to hide this. They're emotions like disgust, anger, um, confusion, happiness, we all have them. And we will often just quickly flash them Before we actually carry on with our stuff, we have no control over it. It just happens. So as an animator, we studied these because these are very helpful to make natural movement. But once I became a coach, I realized quite how useful it was to be really good at this stuff. So I studied with some CIA and FBI trainers, and I did some hostage negotiation training with the the chap that was at one point the head of the FBI hostage negotiators. And between all of that information, it means I'm very good
1: at spotting lies. And it's fascinating. Okay, that is fascinating and super cool. Like, in general, my point of view is, you know, when it comes to lying, a lie is a lie. Do you have a different perspective on that?
0: I I do. I really do. Because what I learned was that we all lie all the time, continually about pretty much everything. And there is a lot of different gradations. that. Obviously, there's big lies like, no, I did not take that million dollars. No, I did not sleep with your sister. Those kind of lies are obvious untruths. But there's all sorts of little lies that we all tell all the time. Of course, I don't mind waiting. No, that top looks great on you. No, you can't tell you've put any weight on. And that kind of stuff we are surrounded by. And what I got from my, my training was that by truly realizing how many people were lying all the time, how alf, often I lied myself, that when you're surrounded by it, you, you can sort of free yourself from the
1: fact that this is absolute truth and this is a lie. So why don't we lie? Because, you know, there's that response. I've done a lot of work with women over the years, that canned response. Oh, I'm fine. And you know that fine stands for frantic, irrational, neurotic, and emotional, right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you are so not fine. Uh, so why do we lie? What, what purpose does it serve? I, I believe it's social
0: grease. It is what we need to rub along with the other people in community. I mean, to be honest, if you were actually truly honest all the time, it would be quite abrupt, So we have all learned to make those little white lies, the social lies, the the things that make just life flow more smoothly. For instance, if you ask me out and I say, oh, I've got something on that night, that's much more polite than actually, I don't really know you. I don't want to spend time with you. And I have a date with some haggen tonight. So
1: I've got I've already got plans is so much politer. So it just keeps everything smoother. It also sounds like it just keeps it easier for everybody. Like there's no confrontation. Absolutely. But it's also, I think it's a greater
0: truth as well, because there's, there's kind of truthiness and real truth. Because for me to say I can't come out tonight because I'm doing something, it's no less true if what I'm doing is sitting on the sofa. But what I'm telling you is something that's more polite and more acceptable. And obviously, if you you did ask me over, I'm totally free tonight, (laughs) should you require that.
1: So as a trained lie detector, what are some of those signs? Like you said, there's seven fundamental expressions. Like what are some of those signs? How can you tell someone is lying to you, especially as a coach? This is where I, I just love this. So the big thing about lie detection is you
0: can tell something's wrong, but you can't tell what that means. So, uh, for, for, for example, let me give you the, the classic uh, lie detection example, which is you're standing in a line at the security section of the airport and a big guy with a gun pulls you out of the line and says, come with me. Now, that micro expression will flash across your face. And if it is fear or surprise, they are perfectly reasonable Facial expressions because maybe you're frightened of missing your flight. Maybe you're frightened of men with guns. Maybe your mom told you to not get into any trouble at the airport and you're frightened of that. But if you flash disgust or humor, then they're slightly out of concordance. It doesn't actually make sense to be in that way. So that's what security people are looking for. And as a coach, that's what you're also looking for. How does your client normally react? Have they suddenly become evasive? Are they not looking you in the eye? Have they suddenly got very, very quiet? Have they started looking down? Or or there's sort of classic things that we all know. If you put your hand in front of your mouth, sometimes you're sort of inadvertently trying to scoop the, the lies back into your mouth so you're not sharing them. So you're looking for things that don't match from that normal baseline behavior.
1: And so when it comes to lying... And these micro expressions, like you talked about some of them, several of them, you'd either have to be, you know, as a coach, coaching in person or on Zoom so you can pick up on some of these nuances. A lot of coaches are on the phone. So how do you hone in on those kind of signals or signs if you're just on the phone with somebody? I actually hear lies better than I see them because that
0: is often two things that happen when someone's about to tell a lie. There is a longer than expected pause while they think of the lie. And there will be a pitch change. Sometimes some people get squeaky. Um, We've all seen that as a kid. No, I didn't eat the sweets. And you're like, yeah, yes you did. (laughs) So the pitch change, swallowing, because your vocal cords have become much tighter and have lost lubrication, and that feeling makes us swallow. It's the same feeling you get when you're about to cry and the back of your neck gets really hot. That's because your body's trying to lubricate your vocal cords. So pitch change, weird pauses. And also, if it's a full on lie, then lies, we find it much easier to tell a lie going forwards. So if you genuinely suspect a lie, you can test it a bit. So you can hear it. Oh, that was weird. There was a hitch. There was something. So you can spot that. And as I said, I personally spot it much better from a pitch tone. And then once you've asked about that, if people can't fill in the details,
1: then it might be a lie. It doesn't mean anything, but it could be a lie. That's interesting. You know, the, the swallowing one, this has been a question that I've had forever. Like, I know that that's something and I'm like, okay, there's something there. Like, I see that hard swallow. But I now to really understand, the vocal cords have tightened. They're drier. And so the swallowing becomes more difficult. That is so fascinating to understand what's going on, like physically behind that to detect it. Now, I feel when my clients are lying, like you said, that you can hear it more than see it. I can feel it. Like all of a sudden, it'll be more like an intuition. It's like, wait a minute, something's going on. I kind of get a little crinkle in my forehead, like, wait, what just happened? And I don't know that I could, I'm not trained like you with the animations and those micro expressions. Maybe I'm picking up on that, but it feels like something that I sense more than hear or see. Uh, Can you talk about that? Like with your intuition picking up on things?
0: Well, Malcolm Gladwell would say in Blink, which is an entire book about why we should trust our intuition, that your mind is synthesising all of those hundreds and little cues that we're seeing. You're hearing something, you're seeing something, maybe you're, you're noticing that they're slowing down. They're switching from a bolder, more outside voice to a, a more tenuous indoor voice. So you're assimilating all of that inf- information, And from that, your intuition is making your spidey sense tingle. But I think you're actually doing all the same things. And that's the interesting thing about really deep body language security training is that we don't need it, really, because we're all humans. We've all seen other humans. I am super sensitive to it. But we can all do it because we've all met other
1: people in all sorts of environments. And then it's just a matter of honing in those skills like you've really honed in on them because of your background in film and working with animation. But we all naturally kind of feel into it. And as coaches, when we can consciously fine tune those senses, we can really support our clients in even fiercer ways. Oh, completely, completely. And I'm interested in what you do when you
0: when you hear that or you see that or you get that feeling, because for me, all I do is
1: say, I've just seen something or I just heard something. What did that mean? I do something similar. I say, I I noticed something. I'm not sure what it is, but can you tell me more about X, Y, Z, whatever they just said or did? Sure. And I I acknowledge that I recognize something. I don't give it any meaning. I don't try to make assumptions. I just acknowledge that I'm sensing something and I ask what's going on or tell me more. That's perfect. That's textbook. That really is.
0: And I bet you, because I know it happens in my practice all the time, that when you do that, quite often people burst into tears.
1: Yeah, they get really quiet. I had one client hang up on me one time Gosh, because you just hit the nail on the head and then it, they have to face, do I want to change this or do I want to not? Now that client called me back, and, uh, but that was interesting.
0: Yeah, because we we all think that we're kind of a, a closed, perfect circuit. And obviously we're not. We're leaking information all the time. And to be called on it, and particularly when you're being coached, you're very vulnerable. You've really opened yourself up. And if someone spots that little chink in the armour, you think you've opened yourself up completely. And then someone says, what was that? And then suddenly you're wide open. That can be very, very unexpected. And it's quite
1: brave for them to step into it. Very, very much so. I mean, that's the power of the coaching relationship right there in that moment. Yes, Yes.
0: Um, I don't know about you, but for but I try not to air punch when people burst into tears because it's always like, yes, breakthrough yes. is coming. <laughs> Quietly to yourself. <laughs> exactly. And very, very bad body language yeah. if you do that. Don't do that, yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, I, I want to confess something. When this topic came up and I was like, ooh, we're going to talk about lying. I had just a crazy reaction. I'm like, no, we're not going to talk about lying. Lying, that's not... And it was just such an interesting response. I call it coaching around this. And I refer to it as as patterns. But when we applied that word lying, it rubbed me the wrong way. And, And it's so fascinating to hear you talk about the distinction between those big, obvious untruths or those little lies, those how did you call it, social grease, is, I think is what you said, that just kind of keeps things flowing smoothly. And it's just something that humans do, right? And when we're talking about the coach-client relationship, I think that it's something to address immediately. But do you think that every lie needs to be addressed with your clients? Like, can you see any reason to not challenge a client's lie or a story that they tell themselves? Actually, I can. I train
0: mastermind coaches as part of my business. And I was training somebody who came to me and said, one of the people in my mastermind, it's a business mastermind, we're growing their businesses. Mm -hmm. But every time she talks about how happily she's married, she's lying. Should I challenge her on it? And we had a long conversation. We looked at the footage and she was indeed, every time she talked about how happy things were at home, her head went down, her voice got squeaky. She had all these strange pauses in her speech so she was definitely not telling the truth is it relevant to her growing her business yeah possibly is it the job of the coach in that space to talk about it not till she brings it up in my case I would say that if she came and said I'm not growing my business because my life is in tatters and I'm pretending everything's fine then yes you talk about it but if she is simply cracking on everything's fine at home it isn't. Till that impacts her business, which obviously (laughs) you and I know it is already impacting
1: her business, but (laughs) till she is willing to talk about it, we can't bring it up, I don't think. Well, that's interesting. And I actually disagree. One of the phrases that I'll use with my clients is, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so If I sense that they're like in the scenario that you talked about, every time she talks about her marriage, everything's fine and happy and great. And if I catch that, I will simply bring it up. That phrase, one of the beliefs that I hold is how you do one thing is how you do everything. I will ask my client about that if they agree or can they see the relevancy in that. And then I will ask them or, or acknowledge, you know, I'm sensing this as you talk about your marriage. And I don't think that's true. And because of how you do one thing is how you do everything. I wonder where you're not being truthful with yourself as it relates to your business, where we are coaching, just to see what patterns might be showing up to give them an opportunity to explore that. I absolutely, I
0: absolutely agree. I agree with what I said. And I agree with what you said. But my question <laughs> for you is...
1: Would you do that in a group situation? Maybe not in a group situation. If it's in a group situation, then I would probably keep it in the group setting about the topic at hand, business in this particular scenario. And then offline, whether a private phone call or online coaching or however I'm coaching somebody, I would reach out to that person one-on-one to share that noticing and to give them an opportunity to explore that. Yes, I think, that's, I think that's the key. Now, let's go back to Anonymous. And with the letter that Anonymous wrote in in the situation that uh, they've experienced with their client, what can Anonymous do to address the suspicion that the client is lying without attacking her in this particular situation? Any suggestions on that?
0: Well, I think I would just go in with some open questions. So at the moment they said, oh, that I borrowed some money. Personally, I would have just piled in with, oh, I thought that was an inheritance, and then get very quiet to to listen to what they said. Because that could easily be a social lie. I got a loan, but it was a loan based on the fact that I did get an inheritance and then started, and it was just easier to say it was an inheritance. But if it was just the two of us on the call and the client said that, then yes, I would say, oh, hang on. And I would do it immediately with no pressure or value. I certainly wouldn't jump in. I'm sure none of us wouldn't either. I wouldn't
1: jump in with a, that
0: sounds like a lie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I often approach it from the state of being curious. And I will actually use that word with my client. Like if I spot something or sense something, I'll be like, wait a minute. I'm curious about something. I thought I understood X, Y, Z. What I just heard you say was A, B, C. Did I misunderstand something? Yes, exactly. And That's it. I yeah. will take it on myself to the way I describe it is to let them save face so that they can gracefully either clear up something or maybe I did misunderstand and I don't want to make that assumption or they can get into alignment or we can see where that conversation takes us. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And to Anonymous's second point about is the client lying about other things? I would say almost certainly, surely.
1: Yeah. How you do one thing is how you do everything.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But I guess my feeling on that is that, yes, all humans lie. Therefore, is this person lying? Absolutely.
1: Now, let's go back to the scenario. You know, your response was it immediately, if you heard it, you would immediately just kind of jump in, wouldn't be an attack. Uh, I added the word be curious with it, bring it up there. Now, in this situation with Anonymous, it's happened, it's gone past. Would you have Anonymous go back and address that? or just pay attention moving forward?
0: That's a good question. I guess I would probably, obviously it's, it's bothering anonymous enough to have written in, so I would suggest the start of the next conversation you have with your client. You know, I was thinking about it and I realized that maybe I've got something wrong. I would definitely go with the same
1: sort of line that you were talking about of, I am a fool, please educate. So let's look at lying from a different angle, from the coaches. Perspective: Are there situations that you lie to your clients, and for what reasons? If you do,
0: um, yes, I, I do actually lie to people all the time, but it, you know, in a helpful way. So um, I, as I said, I run mastermind groups, and we have to keep people to time. And one of the things I lie about the most is how much time people have before they have to move on to the next person, and that's partly to keep the group moving. But also because subjective time inside the spotlight and the conversation we're having now, we're really concentrated. It's going to feel like it's much longer than actual clock time. So I consistently tell my clients that everybody in a four-person mastermind, everyone will get about half an hour for their hot seat. And what actually happens is the first person gets 40 minutes and the last person gets 25. And I have been doing that for years, And I swear, nobody has noticed. Obviously, I just blind my (laughs) cover.
1: Yeah, we won't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So it's interesting. Uh, I'm just sitting here. You call that a lie. And if I think about it, it it is because you know, not everybody's going to get 30 minutes. It's going to work out to be about like this. I would call that strategic planning (laughs) to manage your time management. But it's interesting. It's like, no, when we really get down to it, uh, I guess technically it is a lie. So that's fascinating. And then it's also, as a coach, you know, what you're omitting and not saying is that also a lie? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think maybe the difference
0: between us is that I consider everything that isn't technically true a lie, um, but also that that kind of doesn't matter because truthiness is okay in this case. Whereas all of that social grease is all about those things that that kind of make everything smooth. One of the other places I lie to clients quite a lot is, in some cases, I don't spell out explicitly quite how difficult what it is they're doing is going to be. Because who wants to know, yes, it's going to be three years of absolute hell. You know, maybe I would explain it's quite difficult and growing your business takes a lot of time and effort. But. I mean, have you ever met a single entrepreneur who hasn't said at some point, if I'd known how
1: long this was going to take and how hard it was going to be, I would not have started. And so you to manage expectations, there's that lie within what you're revealing to help them maintain momentum and maintain that hope and forward movement. Exactly. And I mean, if they're completely hopeless and totally
0: loathing it, I absolutely would not say, oh, sure, you'll make all your money by the weekend. I don't, I don't tell that kind of lie. But I would potentially not spell it out in quite the same detail. I would make sure that they were interested and motivated and ready to do the work, but
1: maybe not go into the excruciatingness of certain parts. of it. Interesting. So now, Anonymous, let's summarize a couple of the things that we've talked about today. First of all, the fascinating insight that Liz has shared with us with those, the micro expressions, right? Being able to understand whether you see them or hear them or feel them as a way to process those, but understanding the pattern uh, of your clients and when those patterns change to be able to pick up on it. And you've picked up on that anonymous with your client because you've heard them say something that contradicts. So looking for the pattern of where things are different and then understanding that your client might be holding two truths in mind. And what I mean by that is there's the the actual truth and then there's the story that they're telling themselves so that they can keep moving forward. And so understanding when it's appropriate to call them out on it, or like Liz was saying, Not necessarily, this is not the time and place for this. This is not the topic. This is not the coaching that we're doing or the setting that it could be done in. And then also to find a way to come up with an authentic response to the lie without attacking, whether it's immediately just acknowledging it, being curious. You can use those coaching skills of reflecting what you heard and then asking them to expand on it. And that means that you have to dig deeper into your coaching skills. That's your responsibility as the coach. But don't fall into the niceties just for the sake of keeping a client because they're paying you and that's great and you want to keep them longer. Liz, is there anything else that you want to add to just to kind of summarize everything that we've talked about today for Anonymous?
0: No, I think that's all of it. And I really like that point about holding two truths at the same time. Because so much of coaching is gently leading people from that one truth over to the
1: maybe more helpful second truth. I find as a coach that um, when I am in a good place, I'm not triggered by the topic the client is bringing up or, you know, I've, I'm working with my coach and I'm working out all this stuff and I can show up in a great place with my client then I can have fun with it. I can even be cheeky with how I acknowledge it or, you know, maybe press their buttons if I need to. Uh, but as our role of the coach, that is what we're doing. We're guiding them from one truth to the next to really uncover those patterns so that they have the greatest opportunity for growth. Absolutely. And I would say, I I've say it so many times, if you get triggered by a client's behavior, you must... Take it up with your coach. It is so important for you to have a coach because if not, you're going to keep swirling and then you can't support your clients from that place. It's going to be much harder to have that powerful, fierce, compassionate coaching from that place of truth so that you can catch them in their lies. And I just, Liz, I can't thank you enough for this great conversation on a tricky topic, but it's so fascinating. I took so many notes from our conversations and learned so much from you. And and you can find out more about her at RethinkCentral.com. That's RethinkCentral.com. Liz, thank you for coming onto the show.
0: Thank you so much.
1: If you like today's podcast, you'll surely enjoy the inspirational episodes over at Making It. In each episode, a successful entrepreneur will share what making it means to them and what they've learned along the way. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is a Miracy FM original production. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Danny Eney is our executive producer. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance and Cynthia. Jeff Govertson assembled this episode. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. And if you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send an email to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, podcasts at miracy, mirase
2: Miracy And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it?
0: In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy, folk, or traditional tale, and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators.
2: Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because It's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's
0: stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.